Well, hello again and welcome to another of our Brexit Bites. With me on this occasion, and I have to say it's a first for me for a, a Dublin lad, you know, a working class lad from Dublin to be meeting a member of the House of Lords, but there you go. So on day I'm talking to Margaret Ritchie, otherwise known as Baroness Ritchie of Downpatrick. Now, Margaret was nominated to the House of Lords by the former UK Prime Minister Theresa May in her resignations honours lists, and uh, she took the title of Baroness Ritchie of Downpatrick to her home parish, her home turf. Margaret considers herself still, a lot of people regard the House of Lords as a retirement home, but Margaret considers herself a still very active political player and sees herself very much as a working peer. Outstanding record. She was a member of the Social Democratic and Labour Party, and many of you watching this will know the SDLP as the party of the Nobel Prize winner and the architect, one of the key architects of the, the evolution of politics in Northern Ireland, John Hume. So she was a SDLP MP for South Down from 2010 to 2017. She was Minister for Social Development in the Northern Ireland Power Sharing Executive 207-210. And she served as an SDLP member of the Northern Ireland Assembly from 2003. She also led the SDLP from 2010 to 2011. Margaret sits in the Lord as an independent because the SDLP, her party has a policy of not taking seats in that chamber. A wise policy in my view. Um, she decided to accept the nomination to the House of Lords so that she could continue to play an active role in politics and to be a voice for the community of Northern Ireland uh, during, uh, and especially during the Brexit process and in particular the impact of the Brexit process on Northern Ireland. Um, she's been active in the Lords since taking her seat over a year ago, and as well as contributions on Brexit, she's interested in the economy, job creation, trade, tariffs, agri-food issues, and health matters, yeah, particularly important in these COVID days. Uh, well, many of you who watching this and who read our Brexit briefings will know that there's a great deal of controversy around what's known as the UK's internal market bill. And uh, part of that bill specifically authorizes and it was said by the UK government ministers themselves in the House of Commons that part of it specifically authorizes them to break an international treaty, the withdrawal agreement concluded between the UK and Northern Ireland. Uh, oh, sorry, between the EU and the UK, uh, specifically around the protocol on Northern Ireland. And uh, that remains a major stumbling block to any potential a tariff-free deal uh, between the UK and the EU um, over the over the week ahead, because that's about the time the time that's left. So, listen, Margaret. First of all, I have to ask you a question, right? Before you like, you're not a role model for the Dairy Girls, that very popular TV series that many people watched recently, by any chance? I'm probably I wouldn't be because I'm not in that age group. And I definitely not because I'm from County Down and I'm from South Down and in particular Down Patrick, the home where Patrick began and ended his ministry. So uh, that is where we're based in terms of cultural and environmental tourism. 
as a matter of interest, would there be a difference between people from Downpatrick and Down and people from Derry? I mean, I know that they're sort of at opposite ends, you know? Well, I suppose there are various differences. In terms of Derry as a city with a big concentration of population and Down is very much rural. We have many settlements, probably Downpatrick, and if you go to the southern end, Warren Point, well, they would be the two big sort of settlements. But to um, compare it to Derry in that sort of sense is totally different. And if I even look at GAA and soccer, Derry is very much a soccer city. Derry City play in a, um, the All-Island sort of uh, league, whereas Down is very much GAA and GAA-focused. After all, we've had so many All-Irelands. And we were the first county to bring Sam uh, across that imaginary border uh, to County Down. So that is something that we're all very proud of. Yeah. But nowadays, and of course, down, nowadays, of course, Down is just one of those counties that Dublin beat whenever Dublin continued to win the All Ireland. But I, I wouldn't want to overemphasize that. I'll not take you up on that bit. I'll just let you, I let it rest there until a later time. Yeah, fair, fair enough. We should we, we could discuss that over a, a, a nice glass of wine at some stage or other when we meet. But I have these conversations with all of my friends from Kerry and Cork and so on, all of whom think they have a chance of winning something, but of course they don't. Um, so listen, tell me, do you think Brexit has the potential to break up the United Kingdom? Well, the bottom line is I was a Remainer as a, for, a member of the SDLP, very strongly we campaigned for Europe. We were always European. And during the uh, the referendum, we campaigned strongly to remain. So that's, I want to set that as my, uh, shall we say, my benchmark. I honestly do think that Brexit is a product of populism and populism that emanated from UKIP and the Tory party and the takeover of the Tory party by UKIP. I do think it will lead eventually to the breakup of the UK because the UK, the UK government has a conundrum. They are they have a government for the UK where there's devolution in, in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, but they also act as the government for England. And what increasingly has happened and what has emerged out of the UK internal markets bill is that, and Brexit, is that Scotland will definitely go towards independence. All the opinion polls suggest that Nicola Sturgeon and colleagues will win that referendum whenever it takes place. And you also see murmurings in Wales as well. They're no longer content being part of the UK. And those murmurings are coming from the leader of Plaid Cymru and also in terms of Ireland. Now, Ireland's a totally different situation and sometimes during those debates on Brexit and on the UK Internal Markets Bill, I find that the Tories and Labour particularly don't fully get. I come to these debates as a democratic Irish nationalist, very proud of my heritage and always make those points. So I do think it will lead to the breakup of the UK and also I think the UK government is fully aware of that. So therefore, they, in terms of that particular piece of legislation, not only are they undermining the Northern Ireland Protocol, 
but they're also having a power grab on devolution. Through the, the actual wording of those amendments, they are seeking to drag all power back to London. And for example, there was a process that was agreed between um, the UK government and devolved administrations back in October 2017 under Theresa May, that where there were issues of policy divergence, that was fine, particularly in those areas that were coming back from the EU. And this was a process called Common Frameworks. And you were allowed to have that policy divergence, for example, in agriculture, electricity, trade emissions, all those sorts of areas. But the government would not put that in their bill simply because they want total control in London. And that is the problem. There is a major debate now between the devolved administrations and London. And it's all down to power grabs and a level of populism that I've never seen before. Yeah, well, I don't disagree with you on that. I actually have long ago concluded that the phrase take back control actually meant take back control for the executive in London from all of the devolved governments, not only from Europe, but yeah. from the devolved governments as well. But let me ask you a question. Uh, no shadow of a doubt, but that the opinion polls are predicting a very, very strong showing in next May's election by the SNP in Scotland that they could even win an outright majority. And if they do, they'll obviously want to push for a further, a second um, independence referendum. What do you think would happen if London refused to grant such a referendum? Oh, I think in this uh, SNP and also the wider Scottish population would not be very happy because they want to be a nation on their own in the European Union. And that is the ultimate prize for them to get back into the European Union, to be part of the, the group of 27, because they have, they have already earned enormous benefits. And they also have seen what Ireland has been able to achieve and they want to be able to emulate that. So I honestly believe that you'll see quite a lot more tension post the, um, the Scottish elections in May 2021. And you'll see a very vigorous Nicola and colleagues lobbying, not only lobbying, but putting in place arrangements for such a referendum. But of course, she will need the permission of Johnson and Co as well. And that's going to be the difficulty. So they will be on a collision course. And we've taken evidence from some of our ministers. I'm highly impressed with people like Mike Russell, who explains everything in very succinct sort of terms. And in fact, he used to work for RTE. I think he might have been braced in Brussels at one stage. But it, the people of a considerable level calibre, I've worked with them in the, when I was a member in the House of Commons. And I, I noticed that, that in terms of policy development, in terms of clear thinking, they were way ahead of the other parties. So well, I what, think happens, we are what, heading ha what happens if Johnson just says, no, there will be no referendum, end of the matter? I think Johnson will realise, as he had probably has realised with the internal markets bill, that um, things are not going to be an, uh, an easy ride for him, so to speak. 
and he might draw back his horns, I would imagine. Now, okay. that's all and very much in the crystal ball gazing, because not only do you have Brexit, you also have COVID, which they badly managed as well. And uh, Scotland has been an excellent example of how you manage COVID. But again, it's a one-party government, so it's always much easier to do. Okay, so let's, Margaret, make an assumption. Let's assume that the Scottish National Party wins the election clearly, has a mandate from the Scottish people to ask for a second referendum, gets that second referendum, Aye. and wins it. Aye. Now, we could be talking a timescale of three, four, five years. Who knows? Who knows? Where does that leave Northern Ireland? Now, if Scotland has left the United Kingdom, so you're now down to England, Wales and Northern Ireland, what do you think happens next? Well, um, obviously the North, as you know, is a very, very divided place. But we have already gone down part of the way of, shall we say, the divorce. And that is um, captured by the Northern Ireland Protocol, which the government, the British government tried to undermine in the UK Internal Markets Bill. And we in the House of Lords give them a good kicking and uh, have got that removed from the bill. But of course, the Commons with Johnson's majority will reinstate it. But I wonder... Will that act bill actually remain on the table? I think at some stage they will withdraw it themselves. The bottom line is I'm a democratic Irish nationalist. I want to see the uniting of the people of Ireland because that's what we're meant to be. We are Irish people. We are a multifaceted Irish people now because we've got a, such a mix of people from other countries. But basically, we're all Irish irrespective of our heritage, and that's the bottom line. And But that probably is a very simplistic interpretation. We hear lots of chats about border polls, um, but the bottom line, I don't think the time is right, and I know the time is not right for such a border poll, because it's about building relationships. It's about persuading unionists in the North of the economic, of the cultural, of the social benefits of the uniting of people, because that's what the Good Friday Agreement was about. It was about relationships in the North, between the North and the South, and then East-West between Ireland and Britain. So it's about doing that. And it's moving to that next stage of the process. Because I do remember when John Hume, um, after the Good Friday Agreement was signed back in 1998, he said that we had to move to that healing process. And quite honestly, that healing process has been painfully slow, punctuated by periods of time when we have had no Northern Ireland executive. And as a consequence, all of the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement couldn't meet. We have had distrust. We have had some acts of violence. We've, um, we have had distrust on the part of unionists, of, of nationalists generally. So in those regards, there's a lot of building work still to be done, and we have to get that healing process. For example, so many people live apart in the North. They're obviously educated apart. It's very different to the South. So, And also, there's a major body of work that needs to happen and should be ongoing now. And I hope that the shared island unit of the Taoiseach can address that. In terms 
of emerging conversations out of that, what would unity look like in terms of our health systems, in terms of education? Infrastructure is quite good because the South could teach us quite a few things in terms of roads and railways. Uh, the other issues with the economy generally, we're dealing, well, if you look at it, electricity is owned by ESB. The Northern Ireland electricity is owned by ESB. So it's already an all-island electricity market. You look at our um, animal health is already all-island in that term. And we also um, look at agriculture because in many ways there is an all-island approach. You look at the dairy industry. The dairy industry is owned by a lot of the big processors in the South. And there is that movement across the border every day for processing the collecting and processing of milk. Yeah, so when, you look, when, when you look, when you look at something, for instance, call it cultural, but when you look at something like rugby, you know, where you have an all Ireland rugby team and they've been actually quite successful over recent years, which shows what can be done I'm when people can people work together. together. Yes, I, let me let I me ask you. Uh, let me ask you a more immediate question because I, I don't disagree with anything you say. I don't think Ireland wants to be like Brexit, where you wake up the morning after a vote on a United Ireland and say, now what does this mean? The way people in the UK woke up the morning after the Brexit vote and said, what does Brexit mean? I, we've learned that lesson from looking at. So here's a question for you, though. You know, so, uh, Margaret. On January the 1st next, economic Brexit happens one way or the other. Right? there will be new barriers, borders between the UK and the European Union. There will be uh, barriers, borders, call them what you want, between the UK and Northern Ireland, because that's the nature of mm -hmm. the protocol. I see in the last couple of days, businesses and supermarkets saying that some of the difficulties will be fairly close to insurmountable. Do you think, for instance, that let's say businesses in Northern Ireland that are currently supplied from the UK could say, this is too much trouble and pivot towards looking for suppliers elsewhere on the island of Ireland? You know, in, other words, in other words, Brexit acting as a catalyst to further economic integration on the island of Ireland. And that then becomes a basis for other things. Do you, is that a possibility? That um, is a possibility. Um, and um, I, But many of the suppliers of these large supermarkets, I can think of Asda in the north, is very much a UK-based chain. But I'm sure that deals could be operated by other um, suppliers to bring them in via Dublin. Because we must remember that a lot of the food supplies that are exported to Britain from the north go via Dublin port. So we must, no, mustn't forget that. Hmm. The main issue having talked to those in the retail consortium is that they are concerned that they won't get um, ready supplies of food at an affordable price for their consumers. There's nothing to stop that uh, from coming in from um, the south, because uh, they could be the, uh, that food supply could come in via Dublin Port, 
as um, foodstuffs can go out via Dublin Court. So I think there are ways around this. In fact, I asked the Treasury Minister, Cabinet Office Minister last week at oral questions that particular issue. Always remember that the issue, uh, if they were to allow unfettered access of goods between Britain and the North uh, from the 1st of January, that breaks the protocol. That is not going to happen. There is a border in the Irish Sea, no matter what Johnson said. That's the bottom line. But we, as a democratic Irish nationalists, I don't want a border in the island of Ireland, nor do I want to see a border in the Irish Sea, because I don't believe it's good for relationships and I don't believe it's good for the economy. Because my bottom message here is that the North is a good place to locate your business. And the North, post-Brexit, will remain a good place to locate your business because you can bring in your imports, you can do your exports through the South in terms of um, Dublin Port or any of the other ports. Well, myself and, myself and Derek Mooney, we wrote a paper back a couple of years ago saying that if the Northern Ireland uh, politicians played our cards wisely, uh, Northern Ireland could be one of the best places within the European Union to do business because you would have access both to the European Union and to the United Kingdom. Let me ask you another yes. question. Sorry, go ahead, Margaret. You will recall that um, whenever Brexit happened, the SDLP argued very strongly for special status for the North. That special status was captured by Theresa May and the European Union and the Irish government in terms of the backstop. And then um, that was further modified by Johnson meeting with the then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and we've got the Northern Ireland Protocol. That is special status by mm. any other name. And that's what we have. And we have to protect that Ireland, Northern Ireland protocol, because that's where we are different. And it's, I suppose she asked me about the question about in the breakup of the UK, Tory and Labour MPs and peers fear that more than anything else, because they see themselves in that traditional sense as unionist which is slightly different to hear in terms when you hear unionists talking yeah, about it. I, I they don't that, yeah. have any of that political paraphernalia with it. But yeah. um, it is, it, and that is, and I have sensed that in particularly in the last couple of weeks when discussing that UK internal market bill. But coming back to the principal issue, of course, the North is, or Northern Ireland is a good place to locate your business. And in fact, has the benefit of the Northern Ireland protocol and has the benefit of using all of the ports and various places throughout the island. And I think at the end of the day, what is going to happen, we'll find more foodstuffs coming from the south into our supermarkets. Because deals can be done at supermarket levels. Listen, when you look at all of the complex politics around Brexit, the potential sort of for Scottish independence, the complexities of the Northern Ireland protocol, you know, the difficulties of the UK trying to finalise an agreement um, with the European Union. Do you think the incoming Biden presidency in the US, US will be an important factor when we come to look at how all of these things are going to play out? I have no doubt about that. And I do recall during the debate on the bill 
uh, during the second reading, I did say to the minister um, from my Zoom position in my bedroom that um, already. I, ho the I, ho United I hope you were. States, I hope you were properly dressed now, like you know. You absolutely, mean? absolutely. Uh, I told them that the American president uh, elect. Uh, Biden and uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, had said there will be no UK-US trade deal if you undermine, dismantle uh, the Good Friday Agreement and the Northern Ireland Protocol. And I think they uh, there was a rude awakening for them before Biden got elected, because I think the British government was already making contact with the new US incoming administration. And obviously now they're doing that via the new transition team. And in fact, from a very local point of view, I've inv invited President-elect Biden to County Down, and in particular to Downpatrick, the homeland of St. Patrick, because he has relatives in County Louth. Which is oh, sorry, hold on a second. You're, you're, not, you're not suggesting to me that Joe Biden is related to St. Patrick, are you? Now, that's pushing it. That's not at all. But you know what we Irish are like? And, and the bottom line is we want positive stories. We want that, that stuff, that Trumpism that equates with Johnson and the Tories and UKIP to eclipse, to evaporate, because we need, uh, shall we say, positivity. We need a positive message. And we do need to breathe new life into things. And we need something coming from that social democratic perspective that is based on the needs of people and not on the needs of the narrow few. And the narrow few in this instance would be uh, that, shall we say, metropolitan elite in London. Mm -hmm. And we have to realise that the Irish question uh, is much greater uh, than, uh, than London, um, that we have many friends um, across the European Union and in North America, both in the United States and Canada. And I would have to pay tribute to the Irish diplomats who have done an amazing job in persuading um, the American administration, particularly Biden-elect and, and his colleagues, of the damaging impact of the internal market bill. And that happened very, very quickly. And it so is important because we need investment and we need investment from North America, whether it's in terms of tourism or whether it's in terms of inward investment, whether it's manufacturing or whether it's other types of service industries. We have a willing workforce and um, we that the work ethic is very strong and we want to be able to galvanize that. And notwithstanding COVID, because this day will pass at some stage. And great news about the vaccine uh, and the vaccines and I hope that they can be licensed and deliverable and that everybody will make um, will be able to access them themselves because that is our new opportunity. And that new opportunity came with the election of Joe Biden. There's no doubt about it. So one final question for you, Margaret. Um, well, maybe two, but the final serious question. Yeah, in your view, there will be no agreement between the European Union and the UK if the offending clauses remain in 
the internal market bill? Well, the European Union, uh, Michel Barnier and others have told the UK that. And I would presume that uh, that whole chapter, part five, that deals with the Northern Ireland Protocol, has been subject the subject of many of their negotiations. The bottom line is it has to be removed. We removed it in the Lords only for it to be, I'm sure, reinstated in the Commons because of Johnson's majority. But the bottom line, they have to realise that um, the, a hollowed out bill is not much use. It is totally damaging and they should take the complete bill off the table now because we're dealing with amendments at that further consideration report stage and it is purely meaningless. But there are those other issues where they want to hollow out devolution as well. And we have always believed in devolution in a United Ireland context. So we don't want them destroying our devolution settlement and our Good Friday Agreement. Thank you very much. Okay, and listen, one final question. Is it true, because Derek told me this, that you've taken a vow never to have another glass of wine until downwind the All-Ireland again? Well, can I tell you something? I don't drink at all ah, for the see, very simple reason. That's why you don't. That's I, why you don't drink because down are never going to win the All Ireland again, are they? Not at all. Down will win the All Ireland at some stage, I'm sure. And the fact that they, they, whenever they took Kerry on and awfully on and mean, we beat them in those days. But those are the glory days. And I hope that Down can get back to that at some stage. Well, listen, and I know at the weekend, Cavan beat them uh, and, uh, and and Cavan and Donegal will now be in the Ulster final. But as Deputy Brenton Smith would say to me, you're half a Cavan woman. My mother came from Cavan. So I remember as a child supporting Cavan over Down, which to my relatives was pure heresy. Mm -hmm. But uh, having, um, having said that, um, I'm also a breast cancer survivor, so for all for that reason, I don't uh, I touch alcohol at all. So well, well, I'm very candid with you. Well, indeed, thank you for that. I'm a Dublin guy, and you know, I remember all those years where we had to suffer at the hands of Kerry and Maiden so stuff like that. But that those days are well yeah. past, well past. So listen, Margaret, thank you so much for taking the time to be no with problem. us and to talk about those things. I think the next year, the next months, the next weeks, uh, even the next few days are going to be critical in the way the politics in these islands evolve. Uh, who would have thought four or five years ago that such change would happen and potentially so quickly, you know? Um, but let's hope that we can come out of this, the island of Ireland, uh, the island of the UK as well, in whatever shape it ends up, you know, um, as well as we can. I've certainly believed that for the island of Ireland, um, as member of the European Union, that's the only future for us. Um, and when you look at the progress that Ireland has made as a member of the European Union, you'd be mad to think otherwise. And good to talk to somebody that has such a positive view about you know, the way things might evolve. So again, thank you for your time. And to those who've watched this, thank you for watching. And as we would always do at the end of any Baird meeting, we'd invite you all to the bar for an aperitif. But of course we can't do that. So we invite you to have an aperitif wherever you are and see you next time we talk to you on a Baird Bite.
Goodbye for now. Thank you.